Got a chance yesterday to do jury duty. And you may be wondering, it was a Saturday. Uh, Charlotte, our eldest daughter, she joined the, the mock trial team at school. And so I got jury duty to be part of the mock trial that she was a part of. And I've done jury duty before in Mecklenburg County. It's way more fun when your daughter is the one that's making the prosecution and the, the closing arguments. It's, it's, it's riveting. <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, the, the judge was there and everyone's bringing evidence and, and, you know, it was a whodunit kind of a thing and uh, you know, very, very much fun. And, and uh, you know, during the time that uh, we were having it, you know, the you know, there's nerves that are there. Uh, if it was a real life situation, uh, you know, a, a person's potential life is on the line because it was a murder trial. And there's there's a gift that you and I have been given, if we're aware of Jesus now, of uh, peace, you know, without fear that we now have because of of Jesus. When when he was walking on the earth and and recording all that he said uh, with his disciples and showing the kingdom of heaven, it's sometimes hard to imagine what it was like to see Jesus in that place. Jesus was the, the perfect human being. He's perfect God as well. And, and he was revealing you know, what it was like to actually fully be human and partnership and communion with God. And uh, Isaiah records that maybe he wasn't something great to look at, but, but out of him was flowing life. And so we, we began to see in the face of Jesus that there, were, there wasn't just majesty because of his looks, but there was majesty in the way that he lived his life. There was a confident joy and a peaceful ease. And in the midst of some tremendous conflict, he was never rattled. He was always offering forgiveness in the midst of people who were beating him and slandering him. And the astonishing face of Jesus exhibiting these character qualities to me is what is one of the things that I, I find worshipful about him. As I read the scriptures and I hear about him, I'm astonished at his life and how he was able to, to have that within himself and then live the way that he did. I, just, I, I love him for that. I, I love Jesus. He's, he is fascinating to me. And today I, I want to pick up on his life as we continue with this theme of, of rest and, and still picking up what we were talking about the last couple of weeks for how to listen to the Spirit. One of the ways that we remain in rest is remaining free of the conflicts that are going on all around us in the world. And you guys have always known these conflicts. If you've had siblings, if you've had parents, you've had friends and coworkers, there's, there's always something to fight about. I can distinctly remember the time that my brother grabbed the last donut at a hotel that we were staying at with my parents, and I just punched him in the face. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and why we do what we do, you know, it's bizarre. So, 
So we, we, we're accustomed to conflict. Uh, these last uh, weeks, the world has been uh, thrust into what seems like the beginning of a potential world conflict. As some prognosticators are describing, uh, we, we've heard the, the war the, of wars and we've seen wars and, and now we're hearing rumors of wars and, and these things, uh, they're, they're upon us, but they always have been as well. And I wanted to kind of wade into that a little bit using what we've been teaching these last few weeks of how to remain at rest, how to listen to the Spirit in the midst of conflict. And if you have ears to hear today, uh, what I'm going to share with you is for the mature. This is not something that is easy to understand, and it's potentially going to offend you, which is the way of Jesus. <laughs> so he's going to hopefully <laughs> punch you in the spiritual face, right? So <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it's, it's easy enough to understand why it is that, that conflict uh, pulls us in. We, we are trained to protect our bodies from the time that we are little. Our parents necessarily teach us how to uh, walk and run, but also to do so without falling into gullies or pits or holes, or not touching fire. And so we, we learn physically that our natural senses can help us to protect ourselves. It's, it's a normal thing. Now, I was a former engineer, and, and we studied the law of physics, you know, all the laws of physics, in order to discern what is trustworthy to build upon so that when people have bridges that they're driving across, they can trust that it's not going to fall apart. And we as a culture and society, we, we, we want that. We want to know the, the natural laws that are around us. Uh, at the same time, the way that Jesus lived helped us to see that there was something beyond the natural that allowed him to live the way that he did because his life was threatened and yet he never responded back with cursing or with you know, anger against you know, those who were slandering him. He, he always forgave. There was a, a buoyancy and a resiliency that he had. That's only possible if self-protection is not the only option. Because in the midst of conflict, we tend to see that self-protection becomes the main option. We become afraid of our own lives being lost, and yet Jesus lived as if his life can never be lost. So in this passage I want to talk about from Luke chapter 12, I want to see what it was like for Jesus to live with spiritual senses. The same senses that you have now been given in Jesus are available now you know, to you, and it's, it's astonishing. The, the Father has given us a great gift in his Holy Spirit and making us aware of what it's like to have eternal life that cannot be killed, what it's like to live always in love and peace, what it's like to be able at all times to hear another option. And so we're going to talk about a passage where Jesus, in the midst of a, of a terrible conflict, gave a different option than what the people were expecting. And so in Luke chapter 12, in verse 54, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that had been around him and and was following him. I mean, Jesus was laying hands on the dead and they were raising and and eyes were opening. uh, And and those things are amazing. In addition to that, the man walked in in life. He was utterly attractive. Kids wanted to be around him. The, The most holiest person ever was the most attractive to sinners. I mean, there was something highly unusual about him. The worst of society was so in love with what he offered in his life that they followed him everywhere. 
And so these crowds are wondering now all about these other questions that begin to percolate. The crowds were part of a Jewish culture that at the time was highly oppressed by the nation of Rome. The, the, the Roman Empire at that time led their people through what's called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, that if you didn't get in line with their laws, they would destroy anyone in their path. And they had oppressed Israel for decades with high taxation, with brutal treatment of their citizens, with things that we would consider the, one of the worst cultures uh, of today, but yet we've progressed so much further. Their oppression was, was very real. Now, they were poor because of it. They were beaten down because of it. And so much so that they were even doubting the goodness of their God in the midst of this. And Jesus turned to the crowds in verse 54, and he's now talking about reading the signs of the times. He first starts with the natural senses. He says, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes the rain shower. And you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. It'll be hot. And it is. You fools. You know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. There's Jesus just punching someone in the face. You fools. You know, he's a kind, gentle, meek lamb. And so he punches you in the face. <laughs> you fools. You guys are looking at things through your natural lens, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. What was happening right there in that moment? In that moment, that the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, was talking to them. And they couldn't discern it. Their eyes were so trained by the natural world, uh, the ears that they had were so trained by the winds that were around them, they couldn't even pay attention and see that God was with them, looking them at them face to face. They couldn't discern the times. Here was their Savior. Here was their Messiah. You know, Peter, one of his best friends who had been walking with him for a long time, thought that Jesus, as the Messiah, was going to be the one that would lead this military revolution. It was a common theme with others, with the Essenes and some others in their group, that they thought that Jesus was going to be this one that would take and turn the tables of Rome and free the people of Israel and free the land from that oppression. Because that's what God does, right? He always comes and removes oppression from our midst. He always comes and makes sure that our lives are flourishing at all times. We are able to be prosperous in every single way. That's what they thought that God had meant because he said that in the scriptures. And yet here comes Jesus... And he's not yet doing those things. Maybe they were still waiting. And he was chastising them because they couldn't recognize that here upon them was salvation. Here was the time. He goes on and says, why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? This is amazing. So, you know, I was at the mock trial yesterday. We go to judges in our culture. We go to lawyers and we go to law with one another, court with one another, because we can't decide amongst ourselves what is right or wrong. We've lost what is right or wrong amongst ourselves. Churches do this. Churches lawyer up. Churches, they ask for counsel from the legal system to decide on matters because they don't yet have such a maturity in the spirit that they can decide among themselves and have peace about it. And here, here amongst them is the Prince of Peace. In him there is, there is justice. In him there is wisdom for all things. But they weren't discerning it. They didn't, they didn't know this. They were so trained by the world to go to court, to seek justice in these means, to, to maybe even go to Rome for their answers. 
as opposed to deciding for themselves. He's chastising them for these things. Why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? When you are on your way to court with your accuser, try to settle the matter before you get there. So this is, this is a different option. So the option that was before them, well, we'll just sue the person and let the judge decide. You know, we've got little kids at home, and, and maybe, maybe 10 times an hour, <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> Oh man, they, they have some court case, you know, <laughs> that, that they, they want us to settle. Uh, you know, so-and-so took my Lego. I, I don't want to clean up. They're the ones that were there doing that. You, Mom, you tell us. Dad, you tell us. Who was the one that did this? You know, and, and, then, and they're asking us to be the judges. You guys can't decide amongst yourselves. You know how exhausting that is every single day to do that over and over again? Elizabeth and I, we talk about that. The hard thing is, is that once we make a decision, Whatever they thought was right in their own mind has been now told that they're wrong. And, and, and maybe we miss it, but regardless, there's a level of their own thinking that they have just then been disappointed in. And, and, and they're not coming away like, oh, thank God that we have a decision now. You know, like, all is well. I have been decided against, but that's good news because there is justice in the land, you know. <laughs> That never happens. They go away like, ah, that's not fair. And then they stomp off and, you know, and, and the same thing happens with us. You know, you, you, you read the court cases that are going on. You know, the, the big uh, fraud case from FTX happened this week and the big $8 billion case. You know, you guys, it's a fascinating case to read about how that guy's parents trained him to believe that no one is to blame for people's wrongs because of just all the ills that are out there. And then, of course, so when he gets found guilty and he's going to face decades in jail, his mom, who wrote all these books about this stuff, she's devastated. She can't believe that that would actually happen. You know, the, the, the case was against her. And, and she's devastated because of that. She doesn't believe that true justice hasn't been handed to her. Well, of course not. And, and that's true in these times, that's true in our times. Unless God is the one that's telling us, unless our spiritual senses are hearing the Spirit, and we go to Him for forgiveness, we go to Him for wisdom in these things, our heart will remain restless. You know, until the injustices that we have had done against us or we've done against others are brought to the cross, and He bears witness to them, and He cleanses them by the blood of Jesus, we will not have peace. We can revolt in the streets for however long you want to, and it's not going to cause that restlessness in the heart to find peace. Only Jesus and his blood can do this. And here he is telling us there's another option. Why don't you go to your accuser and make peace with them? Why don't you acknowledge that, that you're wrong about that? Why don't you acknowledge that, hey, I, I did the best that I could, I, I blew it? Or why don't you say, hey, I got maybe some of it right, you know? Or, hey, how about you acknowledge that I, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't my intention. Or in some ways, make peace with your accuser before you go to court with that. You know, and, and this is just like a novel idea because everyone's rights are on the line when, when you get offended about that thing. But Jesus is describing another way, a, a way of the Spirit that's only accessed if we actually truly have communion with God. And then he goes on to talk about you know, going to prison if you don't and that kind of stuff. I want to go on, though, into verse thir chapter 13. <clears throat> At this same time, that's the wording in the Greek, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate, Pilate was the ruler over Judea at the time, he was the Roman governor. He was the one that was in charge and responsible for that oppression in this land. So if it was a rape, if it was uh, someone being things are stolen from, whatever that was, Pilate was the one responsible. 
And so he represented all that injustice, all that oppression, all the, the feelings of bitterness that come with that. He was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. So the, the, the most holy place in all of Israel, Jerusalem itself, the temple, these folks from Galilee, they're, they're going in and they're making sacrifices. They, they are doing the thing that identifies them most as a people. They are doing the thing that most identifies them with God. They are making sacrifices. They are trying to be washed and cleansed. They are going to the place where they can commune with God in that system at that time. And while they were there, they get murdered by the oppressor, by the soldiers desecrating the temple. <clears throat> you know, can you imagine the outcry of that? Uh, you know, imagine, uh, you know, we don't have that, that religious zealot kind of thing always that we have in our country, but you can imagine maybe going to somewhere like in Mecca and some outside force coming in there and just wiping out all the Muslims that are in there. Can you imagine the outcry that would come from around the world? Like, how, how dare you do that? How, how, how dare you do that? The, the outcry would be, be furious. And the reaction of the people would, would be just in, in so many people's eyes to go and say, you can never do that to someone else. So you can just imagine what it must have been like. And so they're, they're coming to Jesus, the, the, the one now that is showing different options. He's glued into the Spirit, and he has a different perspective now because of that. And so they're wondering, what's Jesus going to say about this? Israel and Hamas, conflict together. Who started it? Who's responsible? Who should we as Christians side with, right? Who are you going to side with Jesus in this? What should we do? What should be our response? Do you think, Jesus says, and this is, this is so offensive, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Jesus, these guys, they went and they, they, they sacrificed. They, they, were, they were showing their humility before God. Jesus says, do you think they're worse sinners because of what happened? Like, what? what? Why would you talk about them being sinners? They, they just then lost their life. Where is that coming from? What, what, is, what in the world are you saying, Jesus? That was the mindset at the time. The people would often ask and wonder these kind of things. But can you imagine asking that? It's trying to say, who's to blame for this? Well, it was the Galileans, they're sinners, they deserved it. Well, it was the Israelites, it was the Israelis today, they deserved it. Oh, no, it was Hamas, it was the Palestinians, they deserve it. Well, who's worse? Jesus says, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too. <laughs> That's the offense of Jesus. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. So where does he put the answer? Right back on you. Jesus is standing before all of us, everywhere around the world today, in all situations, reminding everybody that the violence that we see in other people has always been in us as well. Always. And unless we repent, we will die the same exact fate that they did, and there's two minis behind us. One, the Jews that died in the temple that day, they didn't know Jesus. They died apart from knowing him and salvation. Salvation was upon them, 
They, they weren't discerning the times. They weren't turning to him. John the Baptist already preceded. He had been doing this for a couple of years beforehand. The voice crying out to the wilderness was telling people, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. They were going to their temple. They weren't going to Jesus. So on, on, on one hand, repent so that you don't die apart from eternal salvation. This is one of the main passages that you can argue against uh, anyone that's trying to say there's universalism. There's no such thing as universal. Jesus is plainly saying, like, turn or you will perish. I mean, it's a, it's a serious question. And so Jesus, he gives us a, a, an offensively serious answer because it's, it's necessary for us to know these things in black or white. What do we do when these things happen? First, look to Jesus and always. Hey, you, you, I need to repent. Anything that's in me that would also want to punch my brother in the face. You know, anything that's in me where I just want to give a short answer to my wife, it's the same thing. That, that anger in our heart ends up being murder if we let it continue to go wild. That's what Jesus says. And then the second meaning is this. Uh, Jesus taught us that if someone asks you to go one mile, go within the extra mile. If someone slaps you on the cheek, go within the second mile. Repent, O Jerusalem. The Romans, they had this law that said that you know, they could make any Jew at the time walk with them a mile and carry their burden as soldiers or whatever else or officials of the law can require of them. And, and the, the people of Israel were offended at these laws. So burdensome were they that they would, they would fight back. You know, they, they would overthrow the, the governments. They would revolt from time to time. And because of their revolts, the screws got tighter. The retribution got more harsh. And eventually, because Jerusalem was not repenting away from their violent nature, Rome brought the hammer and destroyed everything in that nation. And not a single block was left behind that temple. <clears throat> because they continued on in violence. Not only did not repent to Jesus, but they didn't repent of their ways of violence. It starts within the heart. <clears throat> and this is going to continue on. It's a cycle that will not stop. According to Jesus, you live by the sword and you die by the sword. If you're going to have a nation that lives and protects itself by the sword, then you will die by the sword. And just as a hint, prophetically, there's not a nation on this earth that's going to stand when the Lord returns back. All nations fall short of the glory of God. So your job and my job as a church is to turn to Jesus and refrain from that tendency to blame Offer the, the better way of Jesus, of, of peace. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. You know how offensive that was for Jesus to say that? Go to your oppressor, the, the one that's stealing from you, and give them more of your money. Go to your oppressor, the one that, that's taking from you a cloak, and give them another cloak. <clears throat> what if Israel, in response to what they did, and, and I'm just hypothetically saying this, all right, and I'm not a policymaker, what if they built a hospital in Gaza? What if they built gardens instead? What if the Palestinians, many of them who are Christians, instead of responding back to the oppression that they feel, go in and decide in some ways to beautify that nation, in some ways decide to bless? I, I, you know, again, I'm not a policymaker. I'm not suggesting this is a good idea. But, but what if the mindset of culture and society, which is kingdom culture, gave peace and blessing instead of curse and violence back? And, and this is where, friends, in this room, I know that that would probably offend some people in this room just to suggest this as an idea. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to show us. How much it has built up in our mindset and our hearts that we couldn't even see the kingdom of heaven so clearly like Jesus is trying to portray it. We couldn't even imagine nations treating each other like this. We couldn't imagine going out and speaking peace and passivity, these kind of things, because our lives are at risk, right? I have to have a gun we fight for. I'm not speaking against gun laws. I'm just saying like we, we, we assume that that has to be the case to protect ourselves, to make sure that our, our nation, to make sure that violence doesn't happen. And yet in the midst of oppression, Jesus is suggesting go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, bless those who curse you. Only possible from heaven. <laughs> That's only possible from heaven. You know, one of my favorite examples, uh, you guys may know the story of Corey Ten Boom, who was uh, a famous writer in the 20th century, mid-20th century. Uh, she had been uh, a Christian and had harbored uh, and, and, and brought in Jews during the Nazi occupation of Germany and Holland. And her family was, was captured uh, and brought to concentration camps. She survived. Her sister did not. Her sister died under that oppression, died as her body grew weak, more, more, more and more weak and, and, and eventually uh, succumbed to conditions of that concentration camp. And one day as she was speaking, years later, she was sharing the testimony of how Jesus had saved her in this majesty of glory and grace and forgiveness. And there before her walks up, one of the SS guards responsible for her sister's death says, hey, I was touched by what you said. I've become a Christian. I was that guard who killed your sister. Can you forgive me? Put out a hand to her. <laughs> you know... <laughs> We have such oppression in our days. We are so used to responding. We are so used to getting in the middle of a conflict and, and deciding for ourselves, well, you know, we can, we can go back to Israel's beginnings, you know, in the late 19th century. We, we can go back to all the ways that the Palestinians have been walking with Jesus in some ways and been trying to make peace. We, we, can, we can enter into that if you guys want to. And I'm telling you, there's a, there's a spiritual principle and principality behind all that stuff that's sucking people into conflict around the world right now. The world is wanting to get sucked into conflict because the world is a violent place full of violent people that want to prove their rights in court and amongst others by their might and by their strength. And yet here comes Jesus, the meek one who lets himself be killed on the cross. Cor Ten Boom said, I, I cannot do that except God if you give me grace. And her hand, even partially against her will, she said, nonetheless rose up and because Christ was in her, shook that man's head and she was filled with grace and peace and joy. When we do these things, when we bless instead of curse, we are filled with astonishing joy. Our identity finds rest. We know that that's what we were made for. You are priests. You are called to be those who offer forgiveness and offer salvation, offer these things that the world hasn't even tasted. They can't conceive of these things because of how glorious it is before you. This is your call. And so we do it every single day. We start with small things. When frustrations happen in my heart at home with my girls or with Elizabeth, even though they're perfect, I nonetheless <laughs> have to be careful not to indulge in that tit for tat, in that my rights above your rights. And so if you guys remember, we, have, we consider ourselves dead to sin. My life is, is, is over with. You don't see me in the past of who I am. Now it's Christ who lives in me. That's, that's the only thing that you see is you see me here. And that's true of you too. You consider yourself dead to these things. You give up the right to your rights as Christians. <clears throat> This is a radically offensive, upside-down kingdom that you guys have been invited into. And it hits the rubber when things like this that we see in the world happening. And so I'd encourage you pastorally, be careful what you pay attention to. Be careful, from, be careful of being the judge yourself. 
Be careful of believing you know what's best for Israel. You know what's best for Palestine. Be careful of these things. Jesus let the nation of Israel be destroyed. If he has such confidence, how about also we at least consider that as another option? <laughs> Please, again, I'm not saying these things. I have to be careful with that. Um, I'm not saying that anyone should destroy anyone else. Uh, I'm just saying that God has much more trust and patience and confidence in his word, in his life, and his plan for the Jews than I could ever hope or imagine. I just know that I've got to keep my heart and soul at peace when I'm looking at these things. And so consider other options that are out there. Ask the Lord for them. Uh, I'll probably end it on that note. There are certain things that you all have been facing in life, whether it's the business decision, whether it's with friends, and, and you may feel stuck. You may feel stuck between two options. Uh, I would consider, uh, I'd ask that you guys consider just to spend some time with the Lord and, and ask him for a third option. Ask him for what that might look like. Ask him to surprise you. Ask, you, ask him even to offend you. And see if there's a, a humbler way, a, a, a way that you can bear a burden for another, a way that you can uh, you know, go the extra mile, that otherwise you might have been offended to do so. How does all that sound? Does that sound like a good, uh, good refreshing slap in the face? <laughs> Turn me your other cheek, please. There's a lot more to this that I won't get into, but uh, for today that's great because I want to do communion. Uh, let's pray if we wouldn't mind.